Gary Gilmore stood in front of a firing squad. He was about to die because he had killed two people. A priest asked Gary, do you have last words? Gary said to the priest, let's do it. That's amazing. I got nothing else to say. Just kill me already. Get this over and done with already. Dan Whitten, while trying to come up with a slogan for Nike, contemplated on the words of Gary Gilmore. And he took, let's do it, and made it into just do it. I was surprised to discover that my favorite shoe company got their slogan from a murderer. But it's a fitting slogan because just do it communicates don't procrastinate. Don't hesitate. Just get on with it. Just carry on with it. Don't plan too much. Don't think about it too much. Just get it done with. And as I was thinking about the new series I want to launch today, I start to think that, hey, prayer is just the same way. Instead of us thinking about prayer, instead of us hesitating about prayer, instead of us procrastinating about prayer, we just need to pray it. Are you doubtful today? Just pray it. Are you feeling disloyal? Just pray it. Are you lonely? Just pray it. Are you weary? Just pray it. Are you teary? Just pray it. I looked at the Bible and tried to give my concept, just pray it, a little bit of meat, and I discovered that the Bible makes prayer one of those things that we shouldn't just think about it. We just need to pray it, whatever it may be. And I want you to notice these statements about prayer. Paul speaking, he says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Rather than thinking about your tribulation, you just need to pray about your tribulation. And somebody here is in tribulation. You're in a struggle. You're in a difficulty. It's been so hard. I want you to know, just pray it. Paul speaking again in Philippians 4 verse number 5. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer <clears throat> and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. If you're anxious, pray it. If you're anxious about something, pray about it. That's what Paul is saying. Don't sit on your bed. Don't lay on your bed. Don't sit on your couch. Don't drink alcohol. Pray about it. In Colossians 4 verse 2, Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Pray about it. Consistently do it. Don't ever, ever stop. Continue doing it. Pray about it. And I love James. James says, is anyone among you suffering? Just pray about it. And so prayer is one of those things that I want to encourage you is that you just need to do it. Don't think about it too much. Get into it and allow God to strengthen you through prayer. And that's what I want to talk about for the next couple of weeks just prayer. That is our series title this Sabbath and for the next Sabbaths to come. And I want you, I want you to turn your attention with me to Luke chapter 11 and verse number one. And that's where we're going to begin our series this morning. In Luke chapter 11 and verse number one, the text says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And as John taught his disciples to pray, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples to pray. I want to tag this title to this text, the anatomy of prayer, the anatomy of prayer. Let us pray. Oh God. Speak to us now in Jesus name. 
Amen. You see, this disciple, when he evaluated the life of Jesus, he saw that Jesus was a life that just prayed it. And when he looked at the life of Jesus through prayer, he realized that Jesus' prayer was more powerful than his prayer. So he said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Which tells me that there is a correct way to pray. Which tells me that this disciple looked at the prayer life of Jesus as a superior and his prayer experience as inferior because he didn't know how to pray correctly. Which also tells me that if you want to understand how something works, if you want to understand how something works, you need to understand the anatomy of how something works. In reality, this disciple was trying to understand the anatomy of prayer. When he's asking Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, he wants Jesus to break it down part by part so that he can understand the anatomical structure of prayer. And by knowing that anatomical structure of prayer, then he knows how to make prayer work for him. Allow me to drop something into your spirit this morning. You can't pray well unless you understand the anatomy of prayer. That is, you cannot pray well unless you know precisely how prayer works. You need to know the ins and outs of prayer. You need to know the parts of prayer. You need to know the parts that make the whole of prayer. For example, if somebody is going to be a social media influencer, they will need to understand certain things about the anatomical structure of a social media influencer. They'll need to understand algorithms. They'll need to learn how storyboards work. They'll need to understand their demographics. And by knowing these demographics, then a social media influencer will be able to know how to be a better influencer. You see, too many of us do not know the anatomical structure of prayer. Yes, we pray. Yes, we get on our knees. Yes, we ask the pastor to pray. But do we really know what goes into the, 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 the aspects of prayer? Do we know what is really involved in, in, in prayer? And as I was going through this sermon series, as I was planning in my mind, God convicted me and told me, Henry, do you really understand what really goes into prayer? And so let me pause right here and help you to understand. When I say just pray it, I'm not saying just do whatever you want in prayer. I'm not saying be chaotic or uncontrolled in prayer. I'm simply saying you need to understand the fundamentals. You need to understand the parts so that when you do pray, you know exactly what you're getting into. And so this series is going to be a manual, if you will. It's going to help you to understand exactly what prayer is supposed to look like and what is supposed to go into, into prayer. So I was running with a buddy or buddies a few days ago. And I said to them, I said, hey, how does um, Saya Doain sound? And they said, well, Henry, it's better that you don't say Saya Doain. It's better you say Doakin Saja. They, they, they helped me to understand that the right vocabulary is important for you to understand precisely what you are saying and what you're trying to communicate. You see, prayer has a specific vocabulary that you need to understand if you're going to pray correctly. In our passage, in Luke 11 verse 1, we, came across, we come across prayer vocabulary. We have a participle, praying, and we have a verb, pray. Let me read the verse again. Now, Jesus was praying. That's the participle. Jesus was praying in a certain place. 
And when he finished praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. You see, these two words, this prayer vocabulary, praying and prayer, come from the same Greek concept called prosokomai. I'm going to do a little uh, teaching right now. It comes from the same Greek word prosokomai. Now, you see, when you do a push-up, you do what we call a compound exercise. Why is it a compound exercise? It's because you're combining more than one muscle group. So when you push up, you're combining your pecs. When you push up, you're combining your pecs with your triceps. When you push up, you're combining your, your, your pecs and your triceps with your traps. When you push up, you're combining your pecs and your triceps and your traps with your back muscles. When you push up, you take your pecs together with your triceps, together with your traps, together with your back, and you combine them with your abs. In other words, a push-up exercise is a compound exercise. And so in the same way, proselkomai is a compound word. Track with me. Don't lose me. It combines the two words, pros and elkomai. Pros means to get close. Elkomai means to pray. So let's put one and one together. Let's put pros and elkomai together. Pros means, pros elkomai means to get close in prayer. Oh, I just dropped something for you right there. You see, prayer is first, uh, first and foremost, a, a, a means to get close to God. So the first objective about prayer is really to get close to God. Let me break something down for you and drop something into your lap. When done right, prayer increases proximity to God. When done right, prayer increases proximity to God. So let me bring this as an implication for our life. When you and I are praying, what is the objective that we have in prayer? What are we looking for in prayer? Many of us, when we pray, we are looking for provision. That is, God, give me something. Provide something for my life. Provide something for my family. Many of us, when we come to pray, we are looking for problem solutions. Lord, it's so hard at work. It's so difficult. How do I solve this? Many of us, when we come to prayer, we are looking for pain release. Lord, it's so painful. I'm struggling with this disease. I'm struggling with this malady. Lord, give me healing like you healed Lazarus. Many of us, when we come to prayer, we are looking for God to fill our pockets, to give us resources and money. But I want you to understand that those are sub-goals of prayer. In fact, I don't call them sub-goals. I call them outcomes of prayer. The goal of prayer is to seek God and in order to be close to him. And when we are close to him, we get the outcome of provision, problem solution, pain resolution, and our pockets are filled. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Do not go to God seeking something from God. Go to God seeking for God. That's a different kind of prayer right there. That is, Lord, I'm approaching you because I want to get to know you. Lord, I'm approaching you because I want to get to understand who you are. I want to understand your mind. I want to understand what it is you expect of me. I want to understand how we can be in a better relationship. I want to understand how I can live my life as a representative of Jesus. I want to know you, Lord, and that is why I want to pray and talk to you, Lord. I'm not praying because of what you give to me. I'm praying because of what you are to me. So we will need to have a mental shift in our prayer experiences. And that is we are seeking God in prayer. And that is what Jesus meant when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else is going to be added to you. When you seek God properly in prayer, you don't have to worry about your provision. 
You don't have to worry about the problems for your solutions. You don't have to worry about that pain release. You don't have to worry about your pockets being filled. When you see God correctly, everything else is going to be added into you. Everything else is going to be given to you. Don't worry about symptoms. Worry about the disease. And the disease that you have and the disease that I, I have is a disease of independence from God. Thinking that we can do everything on our own. Thinking that our degrees give us smarts and wisdom, thinking that our ability to manage our money give us the ability never to suffer through a depression, thinking that if only I eat right and I exercise right, I'm going to be healthy. We have a, an independence disease, wanting to be separate from God, but prayer encourages us to understand that we can never be independent because we are not independent. Every fiber of our being moves because God makes it so. Because God makes it so. Never forget that you are not an island. Never forget that you are not solo. Never forget that you are dependent on God. And prayer is that thing that allows you and I to get closer to God. You see, the Greeks would be offended in the Greek world. They would be offended if somebody simply went to prayer for the sake of asking for provision or problem solution or pain release or for their pockets to be filled. They'll be offended by that because they did not think of prayer as something to simply get from God. They looked at prayer as something with somebody bringing themselves to God as an offering and bringing himself to God and saying, God, here I am. And too many of us look to prayer to get from God, but we need to learn that prayer is about offering to God, offering to God ourselves, offering to God who we are, offering to God every fiber of our being. And when we do that, believe you me, that prayer is going to make a difference. You know, living in an apartment building has given me an understanding of, 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 of this concept that I'm trying to drop into your spirit about prayer as a means to get closer to God. And that when you get closer to God, you get everything from God. You see, you have two types of access cards when you live in an apartment building. You have an access card that gives you access to your floor, your floor alone. And not only your floor, but uh, some other amenities, maybe some stores downstairs or the swimming pool downstairs, some other amenities. And it doesn't allow you to go to other, other, other floors. But then I've noticed that those who work in the building, whether it be the security guards or those who are managing the building, they have the kind of access cards that gives them access to all of the floors to everything in the building. So the question is, do you want an access card that only gives you access to your floor or do you want an access card that gives you access to everything in the building? You see, when you go to God and you're seeking for God, He gives you an access card to everything in the building. But if you're only going to God to ask from Him provision, problem solutions, pain release or your pockets to be filled, you're simply asking God for an access card to only your floor. But I want an access card to everything that God has. And Jesus is saying to me, if I see God first and foremost, if I go to him, if I really want to get close to him, then I don't have to worry about these little, 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 little things. Elder Riva would say, these are little blessings. But when you go to God, you get the big blessing. And when you got the big blessing, you get everything else that God has to offer. And so what I want to do for the rest of this sermon is to look at proselkomai in different contexts so that we can, get a, we can get a better anatomical structure of what prayer looks like. So I'm not going to use proselkomai for the rest of this sermon. And every time I mention prayer, just know that I'm talking about proselkomai. And what, 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 what is proselkomai? Proselkomai is getting closer to God through prayer. So anytime I'm talking about prayer, I'm simply giving you an idea that we are looking at a means and a way to get closer to God. And how does the Bible teach us how we can get closer to God? So I've chosen five contexts. Because proselkomai or prayer appears in many contexts. But if I was to talk about every context, we would be here all night. 
But I'm just going to talk about five contexts, and I hope that these five contexts are going to give you the anatomy of prayer. The first context is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. And I want to read beginning in verse 43 to give us better context. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So that was what was taught. You shall love you, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That, that is what was taught. In other words, uh, Jewish thought leaders taught their followers that you could uh, show love in degrees. In other words, for a non-Jew, you could treat them less than a Jew. For example, if you wanted to charge interest to a Jew, you had to charge them I mean, if you wanted to lend money to a Jew, you had to lend the money without interest. But these thought leaders said to a non-Jew, you can charge him interest according to your preference. Now, Jesus changes this degrees of love. This is what he says. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray. There is our word right there. And pray for those who persecute you. This is the first time prayer is mentioned in the New Testament. This is the first time we come across the word that I've been talking about in this sermon, getting closer to God. This is the first time that we met with this word appears. And I want you to notice the environment in which it appears. It appears with words like neighbor, enemy, and love. And Jesus is addressing an attitude of love that these people have towards non-Jews. And he is saying, instead of having a bad attitude towards these people, you need to pray for them. Because anybody who was non-Jew, the Jews considered an enemy. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to pray for them. In other words, Jesus is saying, your attitude in prayer matters a lot. And how you demonstrate that attitude is in how you look at your fellow human beings. Your attitude towards people around you matters a lot. And what Jesus is saying is like this. If your attitude towards people is wrong, then your prayers have a problem. Let me put it like this. You see, a bad attitude towards people will make God jaga jarak from you. In fact, Jesus talked about this in verse 23 and verse 24 of the same chapter. This is what he says. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift to me in other words jesus is saying if you're about to do truth decoded and you recognize that you have a problem with your wife you better not do truth decoded and go and handle the situation with your wife Pastor Henry, if you know you have a problem with a church member, you better not preach a sermon. You better go and address that church member first before you preach a sermon. Because I will not accept, God is saying, I will not accept your prayer, your sermon, if your, your relationship with the church member is not good. Are you following what I'm saying? So if we are to pray well, we will need to have good relationship with people. Because a right attitude towards people will help you reach God at His altitude. Your attitude towards people affects your altitude with God. If you have a low altitude with people, you will have a low altitude with God. If you're not treating people well in your life, your prayers are going to be hindered. God will not answer your prayer. And so if we are to get close to God, we will need to get closer to people first. Because how can we get close to God? whom we have never seen, but yet never get close to people that we are seeing every day. Yes, the people you see every day, the people in your house, the people in your apartment building, the people that you work to, are you close to them? Because if you're not close to them, if you have problems with them, God has problems with your prayer. Oh yes, I said it. Oh yes, I said it because Jesus is saying, our, our horizontal relationships are an indicator of our vertical relationship. So check yourself and ask yourself, when you're distancing yourself 
from the worship house. When you don't want to interact in prayer, when you don't want to come for Facts Cafe or come into community connection, what are you saying? What, what is it that you are saying? What is the message you are sending? You're basically saying that I don't want to get close to God. Because you can never be close to God if you're not close to people. So check me, my brother and my sister. Prayer is important if, prayer will work if you have the right attitude towards, towards people. You see, you can't treat people bad and expect to reach God at his attitude. It doesn't work like that. You see, trying to reach God without reaching people is like trying to fly a car. The problem with a car is that a car doesn't have the aerodynamics to reach up to a higher altitude. And so when you don't have a good relation with people, when your attitude towards them is not right, you are like a car trying to fly. You will never get off the ground. And so if we are to have the right spiritual aerodynamics, we will need to adapt a new attitude towards people. How we treat them, yes, will need to change. You will need to start treating that auntie that hasn't been coming to family gathering in a new way. Instead of talking about her, you will need to start praying for her. You need to start reaching out to her. I know she hurt you. I know she spoke uh, a bad thing against you. But if you will want your prayers to make a difference, you will need to start addressing her again. You will need to start lessening your expectations over your siblings. I know your siblings haven't been supporting you. I know your siblings have hurt you. I know your siblings think that they're better than you, but that doesn't matter now. What matters is your attitude towards your siblings. You will need to start praying for them and asking God to give you a loving spirit towards them. You will need to start looking at people differently. And I'm suggesting to you that you need to change your attitude by adapting a new way of thinking. If your prayers are going to make a lick of difference while watching YouTube a few weeks ago, I saw a man who changed my attitude and he changed my attitude because I saw him preparing his meals. And it was so fantastic that he prepares his meals for the whole day and for the whole week. So he has his breakfast, his lunch and dinner ready for an entire week. And every Friday he makes a list and every Saturday he goes out and buys the, the ingredients and every Sunday he cooks. And so he has that routine going on. And I say, wait a minute, this is a good attitude because if I have this attitude, I can start preparing my meals and that is gonna help me not to binge eat and to mindless eat. I'm going to think well and eat healthy nutrition. And so what I did is last week on Friday, I spent my whole Friday morning, y'all, cooking breakfast and cooking dinners and lunches for four days in advance. And that whole entire weekend, I didn't have to touch food again. And my attitude has shifted. And now I, can, I realize that I can actually eat healthy even when I'm busy. And the reason that has changed for me is because I adapted a new attitude. You see, we need to adapt a new attitude towards people. And when we adapt the right attitude, guess what? Our prayers are going to help us to reach God at his altitude. The second context that I want to consider about the anatomy of prayer is in Mark 11, verse 14 and verse number 25. One day Jesus gets the munchies. He's hungry, y'all. He is hungry. And he sees a fig tree and he looks, he comes closer to the fig tree and the fig tree has no fruit. Now it so happens that when a fig tree had fruit or had leaves, it indicated that the, the fig tree had fruit. But when Jesus comes to the fig tree that has leaves, he doesn't see fruit. So the fig tree was a pretender. And so Jesus says, and I'm reading from the King James Version, in Mark eleven fourteen, 14, no man eat fruit of you hereafter 
forever. Notice that certitude that Jesus is demonstrating. He says, no man will ever, ever eat fruit from you again forever. The next day, Jesus is walking with the disciples and Peter, being Peter, says to Jesus, Jesus, the fig tree you curse has withered. Now, Jesus decides to do a little bit of teaching to help them to understand how he was so certain that the tree would wither because of what he said the day before. Notice what Jesus says in verse number 22 of Mark 11. Have faith in God. He says, my certitude comes because I have faith in God. So if you want to do what I did, you need to have faith in God. Which tells me that prayer must breathe through certitude. When you don't have certitude, your prayers will not breathe. In other words, your prayers are going to die. Jesus continues in verse 23. He says, For verily I say unto you, brother and sister, that whosoever, whether you are a pastor, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a mother, whether you are a father, whether you are a brother, whether you are a sister, whether you are a kaka, whether you are an ade, whosoever you are, Jesus says, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Jesus is saying, whosoever has a certitude will have whatever. Whosoever has a certitude in God will have whatsoever. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you have certitude in God's ability, in God's capability, and you do not live on probability, you will be able to make your prayers work. Your prayers will reach God at his altitude. You will be close to God in prayer if you have a certitude, the other day I came home and before I could enter, I saw a, a, a notice of a collection from the building management. They send these notices when you haven't paid your bill on time. And it's embarrassing because they put it on your door and everybody who's walking in the hallway gets to see your bill and they says, oh, this brother is not paying his bills on time. And I have to, to, to admit that I, I kind of slipped on that and I, I, I forgot and I was not able to pay my, my bill on time. Have mercy on me, oh Lord. So I, 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 I took the notice and I entered my, 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 my apartment and I opened the, the notice and get, guess what? I had to pay the building management $2,900,000. Two million nine hundred thousand. I said, no, th this is crazy. There is no way on God's good green earth that I owe this much. No way. So I called up my agent. And I said, hey, look, I've been charged so much. How come? Can you please investigate? And he told me, he told me, I will give you an answer tomorrow. And I was certain that he would give me an answer tomorrow. My certitude was high in his ability. But guess what? Tomorrow turn into four days. Tomorrow turned into four days. And I came to the clear realization that certitude in human beings can disappoint. Because human beings have weaknesses. Human beings forget. Human beings have challenges. They have struggles. I'm sure that my agent intended to give me back an answer the next day. But he's not only an agent for me. He's an agent for other people. So he gets busy and I'm sure that he forgot. But God never forgets. Hallelujah, somebody. God never forgets you. God never forgets about your situation. God never forgets the, for the fact that you have not eaten for two days. God never forgets the fact that you are struggling to pay your bills. God never forgets the fact that you are struggling to make it at work. God never forgets the fact that you are sick. God never forgets the fact that you have struggled. God always keeps his mind on you. And that is why you can have certitude in him because he neither slumbers nor sleep because his eyes are always on the earth. His 
footstool is the earth. His throne is in heaven. He never, ever, ever takes his eye off the ball. And that is why you can have certitude in God. And when you are praying your prayers, you need to believe that whatever you have prayed is going to come to pass. It may take four days. It may take a year. It may take 25 years. But with God, it's always certain. And at some point, it's going to happen. If you are praying and you want to understand and get to God's level and reach him at his altitude, you need to believe that wherever he is, you are going to be to, to get there. You need to believe that your prayers are the means to get you close to God. You need to believe, Lord, I don't know how I can walk on water, but I know you can. Lord, I don't know how I can resurrect from my disease. I know you can. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it this year, but I know that you have made it through the most difficult situations. You have died on the cross. You've been put in the grave for three days and you resurrected. I know I'll be able to make it because you can. So have certitude in God. The third context that I want us to consider is in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, as we are uncovering this anatomy of prayer. In this passage, Jesus is troubled. Jesus is in agony. Things are hard and difficult for him. He doesn't know what's going to happen after he goes through the cross. So he tells his disciples, sit here. But then he takes with him three of his closest, Peter, James, and John. And while he is going to the place of prayer, he says to his closest disciples, he says to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to death, remain here and watch with me. So Jesus even leaves the three and goes to a place of prayer because he was praying for release from this tough situation. He says, Lord, Lord, my father, in Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is saying, Lord, I need fortitude. If, if I must go through this, I will need fortitude. In fact, he's not saying I will need fortitude. Jesus is demonstrating fortitude. That is the ability to go through something that is painful. A patient who goes through four chemo treatments demonstrates fortitude. Even though cancer is ravaging their body, but they still go through chemo because they want to get the healing. Rather than focusing on the pain, they focus on the goal. And so Jesus is saying, Lord, I don't want to go through this, but because it is your will, I will do it all the same. He's demonstrating fortitude. And if you're going to pray well, you will need to demonstrate fortitude. You will need to have the mentality that no matter how difficult it is, no matter how painful it is, but I will focus on the goal. And that goal is I want to get to God's altitude. I want to be close to God. And therefore, I'm not going to allow my struggle to keep me from getting to God. I'm not going to allow my anxiety to keep me in the bed and not allowing me to get on my knees and pray and getting into the word. I'm not going to allow my anxiety to keep me from uh, treating people well. I'm not going to allow my anxiety from keeping me from doing my job. I'm not going to allow my anxiety to keep me in chains, but I'm going to press through. I'm going to have fortitude. I'm going to have the mental rectitude to push through this situation. I will not be held back by my struggle. I, in fact, I will push 
push through my struggle. And here's what I need somebody to understand and get into their spirit. When it's hard, that is when you need to demonstrate fortitude through prayer. When it's hard, that is when you need to pray. Never ever put in your mind, I don't feel like praying. Because when you don't feel like praying, that is when you need to have the fortitude and the faith to pray. To connect to God. To relate to Him. And right here, Jesus tells you and I, it demonstrates to you and I that prayer requires fortitude. Yes, prayer is not easy work. It is tough work, but it is necessary work. So Jesus prays, Lord, not my will, but your will. Focusing on the goal. Focusing on the purpose and the mission. And therefore he was able to, dem- to, 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 to pray. And that's how you can have fortitude. Focus on what God means to you and how special he is to you. Focus on what you're trying to achieve for God's glory and honor. Anxiety is not going to keep you chained up. Discouragement is not going to keep you chained up. In fact, you're going to break the chains and be able to get closer to God. Jesus comes to the disciples and he finds them sleeping. They didn't have fortitude. And he says something to the disciples because he was disgusted by their actions. He says, could you not watch with me for one hour in verse 40? You have fortitude when I was walking on water. You have fortitude when I was feeding the hungry. You have fortitude when I was resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. You had fortitude all these three years. But one hour of fortitude you cannot give me. One hour of prayer you cannot give me. And that's how some of us are. We, we can work for Jesus. We can serve in the church. We can do ministry. But when it comes to prayer, we sleep. We don't have enough fortitude for prayer. And Jesus is saying, you cannot pray with me for one hour. Some of us praying for five minutes is hard. And I must let you know that I struggle sometimes to pray for 10 minutes. My mind starts to wonder. I start to think about what I want to do for the day. I start to think about what I want to eat. I like fortitude sometimes. And some of us are right there. And Jesus is saying, you cannot pray with me for one hour. And the reason why Jesus wanted them to have fortitude is this. Because if they were to give in to the struggle, they were going to lose their faith. And we know that they struggled because when Jesus was arrested, all of the disciples ran away. Had they had the fortitude in this tough moment to pray with Jesus, they could have stuck through with Jesus all the way to the very end. So listen to me carefully. When you have fortitude and when and you focus on your relationship with God, you want to get closer to God, you keep yourself from the common traps that many people fall into. The traps of feeling that they're defeated. The, fa- the traps of feeling that the world has come to an end. The traps of thinking that I will just medicate myself through substances, whether it be alcohol or unsolicited or uh, I'll call this in glory. I don't want to call it like that. They, they go through, mm, let, me, let me not say that, but people will find other means to try to medicate themselves because they are trying to run away from the struggle. And that's a trap in of itself. And some of us put ourselves in that situation that when it's so difficult, we start to think, I want to kill myself or the world has come to an end. But I want you to understand that fortitude that focuses on your relationship with God will allow you to navigate through these troubles. And that's why Jesus says, watch and pray so that you do not enter into temptation because the devil is out for you. The devil wants to try you. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And some of us are easy prey for the devil because we lack fortitude in prayer to focus on the desire to get closer to God. Let me go to the fourth context. And this context is a combination of two context as we're trying to uncover the anatomy of prayer. In Luke 5 verse 16, we read about Jesus, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. There's our word, withdraw, desolation, and prayer. Withdraw, desolation, and prayer. Jesus would withdraw from the ATM of interaction and go into a desolate place where there was no people. It was just him and God. Notice in Mark 1.35, it says, 
and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. Again, a desolate place. And there he prayed. So prayer and a desolate place. Prayer and quietude. <laughs> prayer and solitude. <laughs> prayer and quietude and solitude. Prayer needs quietude. You need to go to a place where you and God can be alone. You need to find a quiet place. You need to know God by yourself for yourself and prayer allows you to do that you will need to withdraw sometimes from social media you need to draw sometimes from your groups some of us are always on our phones answering to everything and this and that and this and that this and that most of the times if you want to catch me catch me in the afternoon because in the mornings as much as possible if there's no emergency if you don't need me in a special way I rarely responded to text messages because I need quietude. I need me and God to relate. I need time to get into the word. I need time to pray because that is what gives me strength. Had it not been for that exercise, brother and sister, I wouldn't be able to make it. I wouldn't be able to preach every Sabbath because the, the work is, 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 is not easy. It is demanding. I love it, yes, but I don't do this because of my own strength. But when I go in quietitude, God gives me the spiritual energies to do it again. He gives me spiritual energies to pray again. He gives me spiritual energies to get on it again because there are times, truth to God, I don't want to preach. Truth to God, I don't want to take a break. Truth to God, I, I don't want to do it. But God reminds me, Henry, it's not in my strength and in your ability you do this. It's not in your capability alone, but I'm with you and I'm guiding with you. And I don't say this to make it look as if I'm struggling and I'm having a hard time being a pastor. I enjoy it. This is my calling. But I want you to understand that this is not a human work. This is not a, a, a work that I do on my own strength. It is a work that God helps me, but I'm able to do it because I find quieter and you too in your life if you want to find strength if you want to find capability and ability to handle the stresses of life you will need quietude and prayer requires quietude get closer to Jesus learn to turn off your phones learn to take a break from it all and connect with with God. The last and the final context I want to talk about is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 9. In the interest of time, allow me just to hit this one real quickly. The text says, and when you pray. Again, it will say, and when you pray. Again, it will say for the third time, when you pray. Read the text again, Matthew 6. Five to seven, three times Jesus says, when you pray. Right here, Jesus is establishing habitude. In other words, prayer is something that should happen habitually. You can have the right attitude. You can have the right certitude. You can have the right fortitude and you can have quietitude. But without habitude, prayer can never work. Prayer works because it is habitual, it is constant, it is unending, unceasing. And notice what he says, when you pray, that means you need to make time for prayer. That means you need to get closer to Jesus by putting it into your schedule. When was the last time that you scheduled six o'clock, I'm going to pray? Or do you allow prayer to happen whenever? Do you allow prayer to happen when you're about to eat? Sometimes you forget to pray. Do you allow prayer just to happen every Sabbath at Community Connection or Fax Cafe? Do you allow prayer only to happen when you call up the pastor and say, Pastor, pray for me? If you're doing that, then you are missing the entirety of prayer. Prayer functions best when prayer has habits, has habitude, when you're doing it all of the time. And I'm going to discuss more about habits, the habit of prayer in a future sermon. But allow me today just to simply let you know that you can, you can bring the anatomy of prayer into your life, make it work for you if there is habitude. As I end this sermon, I want to talk about an experience 
that I've been having since I've been in Indonesia. You see, when I would observe Indonesian drivers, I would notice a sense of chaos and it would make me fume. When I would see a motorcycle driver driving against traffic, I would fume. <laughs> I would fume. When I would see a motorcycle just wave, weave in and out, I would fume. When I would see that a traffic light is just a suggestion, I would fume until I tried to understand the anatomy of Jakartan drivers. And I, beca I began to understand that, wait, wait a minute, that's how it works here. That's how people drive here. And, and, and so having that understanding, my fuming reduced. My frustrations reduced because I now understood the, anatomic, the anatomical structure of driving in Indonesia. And because of that, it maximized my experience. And instead of me being upset, I'm now okay with how people drive right here. My point is this. When you understand the anatomy of something, it maximizes your understanding and your ability to see how it works. And once you know how it works, you're not able to maneuver with it. You're not able to manipulate in with it so that it can work for you and be useful for you. And so this anatomy of prayer is my way of helping you to understand that once you get this in your spirit and in your system, prayer will become meaningful. Prayer will become useful. Prayer will become beneficial. And I want you to utilize prayer so that actually prayer works on your behalf, that God is closer to you, that you have all the things that you're dreaming of, that you have, you have all the things that you're praying for when you pray in the right way. Yes, just pray it, but make sure you're praying it correctly. Every head is bowed. Every set of eyes is closed as we pray. Father God, thank you for your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. I want to praise the Lord for what He has just done through His Word right there. And I hope that the Lord has also done something for you. Because for me, the Word of God finds a way to just challenge my experience. Perhaps God has also challenged your experience right now. And you like to go a little bit deeper with Him. You like to connect on a deeper level with God. I want you to know that we are here to help you, to facilitate that. You can reach out to us on the number on the screen, as well as on our social media platforms, and we'd be more than glad to help you. And I want you to know that God is interested in you and that God loves you. And perhaps God has inspired you to contribute financially to this ministry. You can do that as well on the account number on the screen. May God bless you, and I'm going to see you very soon. Take care.